welcome back to our 42nd episode of the Launcher Farm Show, where I interview Keith Roy with Remax in Vancouver. In this episode, Keith and I talk about why starting small with your farm can help you scale up quickly and how you can track your success. Keith shares how he found an amazing opportunity with a condo building in his area and how he gained market share very quickly. And we talk about what Keith did to create Mindshare and stand out from his competition by changing the focus of his marketing. Keith shares a super easy way to find the best areas to farm and how to choose an area that fits your plans. And we talk about how to find an audience you can resonate and connect with and what you can do to get more deals from them. Plus, a ton of other ideas that you can use to grow your geographic farm. So be sure to check out this episode, like and subscribe, and enjoy the episode with Keith. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Launcher Farm Show. I'm your host, Ryan Smith, and today we've got a great guest. It's Keith Roy with Remax in Vancouver. So Keith, take a second, tell us a bit about yourself and why you're here. Well, how do you know I'm a great guest? We're just getting started. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> this, could, this could go real sideways real quick. We'll have uh, to edit it out at the end. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, Look, I'm a realtor. I'm a team leader in Vancouver. I've been in business uh, 15 years this month, uh, May long weekend, uh, 2006, I guess I got my license. And during that time, I've built up a small team of kind of two uh, seasoned agents with me and then two what I call junior agents. Um, we don't have in Vancouver, we don't use lock boxes. So we tend to have licensed assistants okay. um, and our, our team, they work in kind of a junior agent role. Um, uh, unbelievable administrative team. And uh, we work right in Vancouver in the city. Um, I live fairly close to downtown and we work right in the middle of the city. Awesome. So for you, what got you into real estate? I always like to start with that because for I yeah. find for people, there's so many different ways and reasons why people got into business. What did that look like for you? Yeah. So I've, I've been fascinated by real estate when I was, since I was a kid, I remember we lived in a small town called Powell river up the coast in British Columbia. And I remember the realtor coming around the neighborhood and I just thinking like that guy was like the bomb, like everybody <laughs> knew that guy. Yeah. He was just, he was like a local celebrity, right? It's, it's the mayor campaign for your yeah your seasoned agents who understand that language, you know, a realtor is basically like a mayor in a small town yep. where everybody needs to know you and you need to try to not offend anybody along the way. <laughs> yeah. um, so I loved it as a kid and then went to school for political science, which is a completely unemployable <laughs> degree. I went to the University of Guelph. I did grad school at Acadia in Nova Scotia. I worked at uh, White Spot Restaurants in British Columbia, which is, a, it's kind of like the Swiss chalet of British Columbia for the <laughs> nice. Ontario people, or maybe the Applebee's for the Americans watching. Um, it's this restaurant that's kind of embedded into the social fabric of who we are as British Columbians, but I, I worked there for a while and I was just miserable. Um, wanted to get into something better. I just felt like I needed something better. Uh, there's a whole story that goes with it with my ex-wife kind of telling me she didn't like me and me realizing she didn't like me because I was working too much at a job I didn't enjoy. Went out, got my real estate license um, and failure was not an option. We were, we would sit in the dark and stuff envelopes when it started. Uh, couldn't even afford the power. It's actually one of those stories and got, um, got going six houses in my first six weeks, never looked back. And I remember early on and, and for new agents watching, you've probably got that feeling in the pit of your stomach where you don't know where your next check is coming from. And, and it just, it's the worst feeling in the world. And so many people have gone through it with yes. COVID. But as realtors, we go through that feeling on a fairly regular basis. 
And I remember that, that first deal, um, I got the check and then the elation just evaporated because I didn't know where the next check was coming from. Yeah. And I, I'll never forget it because I said to myself at that time, never again, I'm never going to feel like this again. And I'm, I'm proud to say for 15 years, I've always had a deal closing. I just figured it out and I, I, I made it so that even if it's just the smallest, like $500 referral check that's coming in the future, there's always been another deal coming and it's given me the confidence to move forward and, and I think build a successful practice. So, you know, basic principles, the work you do today is the check you get three and six months from now, but I really took that to heart. Uh, So that was my start, Um, you know, had a good first year, like better than average, but not, you know, I wasn't rookie of the year. And then by my second year, I'd kind of hit my stride. And now we, you know, I I get every fake award there is in real estate and most (laughs) of them are made up. Yeah. That's a, that's a great story. And it's true because a lot of agents get started and they see the success of a lot of bigger agents and then go, they, they beat themselves up. I'm not there. And reality is for most agents, those first couple of years are just survival mode. It's just figuring yeah. it out. It's not, it's keeping the bills paid. It's keeping the lights on until you kind of find your stride until you really figure out what's going to work for you. And then you start succeeding. And I've seen a lot of agents come out of the gate super hot. And those are the ones that crash quickly. You see yeah. guys who have like, they win the rookie of the year award. And then the next year they're working doing, at, at, at your old job at Applebee's or yeah. Switchelay or whatever. So yeah, yeah it, it's, it is important to kind of get, kind of get your feet planted and figure out what works. So for you, what did you get doing to really start that business going? Cause for a lot of agents, they struggle figuring out what it is, how do I get myself started and what's going to work for me? Yeah. The first thing I did was a full transition. Um, I didn't kind of dip my toe into real estate. I quit my previous job. Uh, and transitioned both my lifestyle and my personality and my work ethic 100% to the new nice. job. Yep. Uh, a lot of realtors apologize for what they used to do. <laughs> They'll come in and say, I'm, I'm a realtor, but I used to work at Starbucks. I'm a realtor. I used to be a teacher. Yeah. I used to be in accounting. I, what you used to do just doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, the consumer is like a puppy. They can smell fear. And if you show up and you, you look like, oh, I'm new, I'm new, they're going to figure out you're new. I, I had my 10th anniversary party and I had a guy come and he was one of my first clients, like one of my first six deals. And he came to the 10th anniversary party. He said, oh, you've been in this for 10 years. I said, yeah. He said, wait a second. I, I sold my condo with you 10 years ago. And I said, yeah, you were my third client. <laughs> and he had no idea at the time that I was brand new, like two months in because I just acted as if I was a realtor. So that was really helpful making that full transition and then the, the second thing I did, I actually set up a farm. Um, so this is 15 years ago now, but um, the farm was very lucrative for me in the early days. I, I think I got lucky. Um, I found an apartment. Uh, I lived in a neighborhood of condos yep. and I found one of the buildings. This was, it would have been four years, three or four years old at the time. And I talked to the development, it was right across the street from where I lived. I talked to the development team, uh, like the sales team. And they told me that no one in that building bought with a realtor. Mm. Everybody, and this is a different time, right? It was, it was kind of a, a neighborhood that was a little out of the way, yep. but they built a really nice building in, a, in an out of the way neighborhood and nobody bought with a realtor. So at about the three year mark, the studio apartments started turning over. Yep. And so I started advertising pretty heavily. No one else was advertising successfully in that neighborhood except one, fee- one woman from a different company and this is an important farming point is to differentiate yourself. So I went in with a flyer campaign and my first flyer got me a call and got me a listing that I sold. And over 
15 years now. I bet you I've sold 60 units in that one building. There's wow. 133 suites in there. I've sold one of them. I sold four times. A bunch of them <laughs> wow. I've sold two and three times. Wow. Um, so I, these were low price units at the time and they, they still are by Vancouver standards. But when I started, there was a lot of 220 to $260,000 condos. And I'd show up at the office meeting with a new listing and everyone would make fun of me for having another cheap listing, but I'd have two or three of them. And people, you know, in Vancouver, everybody's got these multi-million dollar listings. And I would just remind people you out here, uh, you make the most money on the first hundred thousand. You've just got to sell a lot of them. Yeah. And I, I burned through them. So my start was a combination of my database, my immediate sphere. I think that's the, to me, I think of that, that's the rock of any successful real estate practice. Um, Gary Keller will say the same thing. Richard Robbins will say the same thing. Brian Buffini will say the same thing. Uh, But finding that kind of one or two other things that you're going to pursue. So for me, it was a small farm area, my database. And I just went after those two aggressively in the beginning and it worked out well. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think it's important that you said it's a small farm because I see the mistake that most agents make is they go way too big. And I, I always talk about that. It's better to scale up than it is to scale back. And so many agents think, I just did a, a blog post yesterday about the fear of missing out. And so many agents are think they got to go as big as they can to try to catch as many people. And it's better to start small and become that expert, become that local ambassador, and then build as you go, instead of just throwing out a ton of money and resources without even knowing if it's going to work. Back, back then, I was limited by postal walks, as we, a lot of us are today. Um, I remember it was 386 units between that building, the building I lived in, and two other buildings. But the other buildings were rental buildings. Okay. But I couldn't not advertise. <laughs> yeah. So I just decided, okay, it's going to, you know, let's say there's 150, 150 of those units were just throwaways. So I knew that if I was sending out 386 flyers, 150 were going immediately in the garbage with no benefit to me. And I worked my costs off of that, but I did one flyer a week for four months. And then I went to bi-weekly for a couple years, Wow! like probably eight years of bi-weekly flyers. And now I'm down to once a month market update. And I've expanded to all the, um, through direct mail marketing, we use, um, uh, what's uh, real marketing. They do. A, a nice two-page brochure and i'll send you the link and you can yeah, yeah. it's not inexpensive sure. but i'll send you the link you put it in the show notes or something yep, for sure um we do that piece because it allows us to do direct mail to houses and so we hit only owner how owner houses now with a larger more robust piece once a month but my start was like every week and i remember bundling them up and driving down <laughs> to the post office and handing them in and then i would i would make friends i'd go on the postal walk and i'd make friends with the postie and I gave them a gift card early on and I asked them to deliver my flyers on Wednesdays and not Thursdays because on Thursdays it got stuck with the Safeway flyer and the Sobeys flyer and all the other grocery stores and stuff. So I kind of bought my way into better spots in the mailbox. Yeah. This is fun. I forgot all these fun things. Yeah. <laughs> it just a little, you got to get a little gorilla sometimes yeah, and, and make it work. Yeah. It's to, to that point, one of the things we did, cause we hired uh, students in our farm and we did Canada Post and we tested it actually putting them indoors because we lived, our, our neighborhood was a pretty typical suburban subdivision. And yeah. uh, we tested Canada Post and then we hired kids and we put them in the doors and then we started testing times of day. And for us, we found getting them before four o'clock or five o'clock before people came home. So we got the kids right after school for about an hour and a half to go deliver them because then people would come home, take the postcard and then walk into their door instead of in the morning 
they walk out or they they're leaving for it or in the evenings or weekends. So by we had that like small window of opportunity for us to get the kids to have them delivered. And the, the response rate was definitely much higher than, than Canada post walk. Yeah. Like when, when I, I've had a different farm, I set up for a number of years and it, it failed. And we can talk about that lesson too. But when we were door knocking that neighborhood, we would try and door knock between like two 30 and four, because you'd get all the parents coming and going from the kids at school yep. and you could, you just saw more people, which was the whole point of it. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people try and door knock between like, oh, I'm going to go door knock from 10 a.m. till noon because <laughs> the they're, they're scared of people. Like, what's the point? Yeah. Like, just don't go for the walk. Yeah. So I want to go back to then that beginning when you were doing those smaller, smaller area, when you decided to scale up, because for a lot of agents, that's a, a thing they struggle on. Okay. When do I spend more money? When do I double down? When do I grow? What did it look like for you where you said, okay, Hey, we're going to either scale up or, or move to that twice as twice as often. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was a combination of return. So I, I lucked out. I mean, I really did luck out. I got a listing on my first flyer run which produced at that time a $6,000 commission, which in my mind was like 20% of my salary. So <laughs> I was just happy to go spend more money. It seemed yeah. to make, I was like, well, this is great. I'll just keep doing more of this. I also had some luck in that I picked a high turnover building, mm-hmm. like lower price point, but studio apartments turn over every three to four years. Whereas houses turn over every 12 to 14 years the average Canadian moves every seven years. That's why it's because they move a lot in the beginning. They move a lot at the end, but in the middle, they kind of stay where they are. So going after those house farms is a little harder. Um, So we, uh, we, I I scaled up as I saw a return and I was like, Oh, well I can do another farm. I, I can expand within that farm. I can go to the next block of buildings. But none of those other buildings have ever turned over the way that first building turned mm-hmm. over for me. It's just, I, I really hit a magic spot on that. And I, I don't, I'm thankful for that, but I don't want listeners to, or viewers to think that, oh, I just got to go find a studio building. Yeah. <laughs> I found it, I felt, well, it was a unique set of circumstances and I've tried to recreate it. There's one other building where I kind of recreated it over the years and I've managed to do like 10 units out of that building. Right. But I've never hit that that sweet spot again, where you've got small units, high turnover, um, and unrepresented buyers. Even that building now, as my career has gone, it's slowed down because as I've sold people in and out, those people came and went with realtors. Right. And I get some of those lists backs. I get people who are like, I didn't like my realtor. You were great. Yeah. I want to sell with you, Yeah. but I don't get all of it. And in British Columbia, we no longer allow double ending. So right. I can't even bring my own buyers in. So right. I've, there's no, there's no chance to kind of double and turn these units over. Yeah. So it's just changed with time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important, like you said, each, each area is going to be different. Each building can be different. And sometimes people take a slice and go, Oh, I had success or I didn't have success. And then base the whole thing. Like you can have an area you try farming and it's a terrible area because you picked the wrong numbers to pick the wrong area because some people pick just because they live there and then go, well, farming doesn't work or vice versa. They have luck with one building and go, Oh, it's going to be rainbows and sunshine. And it's like, no, there's a kind of in between of sweet spot and being a crap choice for you. What's been that kind of sweet spot in between with your farm? Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you the, the failure story and then I'll kind of combine the two together. Yeah. We picked a residential neighborhood where I moved to, um, I, I had a team at this, I had a buyer's agent and an assistant, and I moved into a residential neighborhood that is now about kind of 25 minutes from the office I'm at. Mm-hmm. Um, 
no one was really prominent there. What we did, we did a full analysis of all of the city. I got a real estate, I had an intern from the University of Guelph. So Guelph has a real estate program. I didn't take that program, but it has a real estate program. And one of the guys who went there moved out to Vancouver um, and I got in touch with him through their business program and I hired him to do real estate analysis for me. Okay. And I had him go through the MLS and track three years of sales based on geography of certain areas, realtor dominance, and was there a realtor who was like the obvious choice in any given neighborhood? Yeah. Which by the way, the realtor that, if, if you ever do this in your area, what I discovered is that a realtor who's doing, the one that you think is the dominant one, the one <laughs> yeah. on the Safeway bus bench, you know, the bus benches, the grocery store, like the signs, like you're like, holy, this guy must sell so many houses. That guy might, might, might be doing 10% in a geographic yeah. area. Like it's so infinitesimally small yeah. on the whole thing. So I looked for areas where the person who I thought was dominant had even less than 5% rate. Yeah. So I map, I took a map of the city. I carved out the areas that the real estate board defines as areas. I wrote down the name of the realtors I knew just from my paying attention who worked in those areas. Yep. And then I fact check it by looking at all the sales data for three years and figured out who was actually dominant in different areas. And sometimes people bled into other areas and stuff like that. And then we picked the areas with the least dominant realtors. And it happened to be the geographic area that I had just moved into. So there was no dominant realtor in that area. There was a reasonably good turnover. It was a higher price point and it, kind of met, you know, I, I think, I think my number was like a 12% turnover rate on an annual basis. So like the number, if there's a thousand houses, I want 120 of those houses to sell inside of a calendar year. All right. That was what I was looking for. So I got all those metrics figured out, I figured out a great farm area. And I, and then I, I looked at who the most dominant person was, and it happened to be an ethnic female realtor, yep. which I am not right. I'm the yep. complete opposite of that. Perfect. I can differentiate myself on psychographics, demographics, there's the way I look. And I put that whole thing together. So we ran that campaign pretty aggressively. We tried to, we did flyers for a week, uh, each week for a number of weeks. Then we moved to twice weekly. And then we moved to uh, kind of every three weeks. We door knocked, we did sponsorship, uh, you know, community soccer, like all that kind of stuff. Yep. And after two years, I'd basically gotten my money back. I was like, okay, that's kind of what you expect after two years. Uh, but after three years, I like also just had my money back. Yeah. And I noticed that it wasn't like getting the traction. Like I was showing up at the door and people didn't know who I was. And yeah. And then I moved out of the geographic area to a different area. And I was like, oh, now I got to, if I want to go door knocking, I got to drive <laughs> across town for 20 minutes and knock. There's no bathrooms and my bladder is kind of small. And then I'm like standing in front of someone's house and they want to talk for 40 minutes. I got to go pee. Like, I was like, this is not an experience I want to have for the return. Like I want a larger return on my investment. Yep. And it just, it was like a farm that kind of paid for itself and like stroked my ego, but it didn't because <laughs> like I'd get a couple big listings out of it, but yep. I'm spending 45 grand a year to make $43,000 yeah. and I'm doing a bunch of work it. and it's, it's some cash flow, but like, what's the point? So we, we pulled out of that farm and over three years I spent, you know, 60 grand. I've made somewhere between 50 and 60 grand. And I moved on. It just wasn't, wasn't my thing. I had to, I had to call it at some point. Yeah. Uh, it, so just to your, your point. So that's, that's the, I've had a failure. I've had a great success. Now, when I look at it, um, I'm really cautious about my marketing dollars mm -hmm. and I like to focus on, I, I tell people that I work a demographic farm. Yeah. I work with young professionals moving up the property ladder 
and young families uh, making that life transition. So if they're going from townhouses to houses, sometimes they're selling their grandma's house or their parents' house because someone passed away. Yep. I'm, you know, I'm turning 40 this year. I'm middle life, I guess. I've already had the crisis. So <laughs> I'm, I, I got a convertible, like uh, everything, like I've got all the things of the midlife crisis. Um, so I look for that middle demographic who's got transactions because they're getting into the market transactions because they're moving up the market and then they're helping their elderly parents out of the market. Yeah. Marriages, pregnancies, and divorces is my farm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something I talk about all the time because people come to me and say, is this a good farm? And I say, there's no right or wrong farm because it's going to be what's right for you, who you want to work with, how you want to do your marketing. For me, I'm, I'm very similar. I like to work with those young families that move up where they're moving from that first home. They bought a condo or townhome moving into their next kind of next level family home and they're moving up professionally. And for me, that's just who I connect with. I have a client who works with a lot of seniors because he likes to, he, he connects well with them and does well with them. For me, I don't do a lot of work with seniors. And then, so if you know that, then what area is going to have a high senior population? His farm is very, like a lot of the people have been there for 50 years, 60 years, their shag green carpet and the mint colored paint and not like they haven't touched their homes. So he does well with that, with the, with that group. And has built an incredible farm that way. So yeah, you got to find what works for you, what works with what, how you want to spend your money and how you want to do your marketing and how you want to position yourself. So for you with your farm, then moving into it, obviously strategies have changed. And we were just talking earlier before we jumped on the call. One of the things I talk about is CPR, which is community positioning and relationships. And really when you build your farm, that's the kind of the core of it. Strategies come and go, things change. Some things are more effective. Some things aren't. What have you found that's been stayed effective and what have you found that's kind of changed and has taken you to the next level with what you're doing? Yeah. So the community one's a, been an interesting problem to tap into in Vancouver. Vancouver has great little neighborhoods, but okay. they're not connected um, and you're not connected to each other in those neighborhoods. Right. Vancouver is a city of, um, it's primarily renters. Okay. So, you know, price point in Vancouver, it's one of, by, by some metrics, it's the most expensive in North America. By yeah. some, it's certainly one of, it's on par with San Francisco and New York for all the metrics, yeah. uh, particularly related to income. So you've got a, you've got a, uh, a, a, tan, a city where people are working two, three jobs. Um, it's a city that's rainy for eight months of the year. So people are kind of like head down and their hoods on. Yeah. They're not really engaging with each other. Um, they're just not talking the way they would in the suburbs, right? Yep. We don't have that suburban experience. Yep. So community is really tough to build in Vancouver. So you kind of have to build your own community. That's your own database, the people yep. you know, the people they know. Um, we, we can't really do that. Building relationships becomes hard because people don't have time to go out, particularly if you're like me or in those people with the midlife. Um, there's like a bunch going on. I got a one-year-old baby at home. That guy keeps me pretty busy. <laughs> um, I got, my buyer's agent has four kids. So he, you know, but he's just an example of a guy who lives in a suburb with four kids. Yeah. Um, he's busy. He doesn't know. He's not like looking to go to the community fair. I mean, he, mm. he might be just because he wants to entertain his kids. <laughs> so it just doesn't like some of that stuff doesn't work in your, in any given city. Yep. So suburban principles are different than urban principles. Um, kind of got a little off track there with wherever you went with the question. Um, but what are we doing? I think I think you're asking like what are yeah, we like doing? Yeah, where what have you? What's shifted? What's changed? What have you stuck yeah. with? And kind of where what's been working now? Yeah. So like I know that those things all don't work for me, 
Um, so I go hard on my database. I go hard on people, um, people like those people. So I'm mm. super analytical. I'm a numbers guy. Uh, it's the middle of COVID. I've still got a sports coat on. It's like eight in the morning in Vancouver. Like I'm, that's just who I am. And my people are like that. So I go after more of those people. Yeah. I try and spend time with business executives, accountants, engineers, lawyers, doctors, um, management consultants. That's my practice. And then I try and build a community of those people mm-hmm. and I try and connect those people. Right? I build a community of them. So we'll, we'll typically do large scale events. We haven't been doing that for the last two years, but I'll throw an annual barbecue at my house. We'll get 450 people over to that because wow. I want people connecting and, and making, I want the, the first sentence that happens at any one of my client events is how do you know Keith? Right. Right. That's, that's what I'm trying to create. So I create yep. my own community yep. of like-minded and like skilled individuals. Yep. Um, that's what works really well for me because I, it's really hard to cut through the noise in a city with flyers it's really hard to cut through with community events with pumpkin giveaways with like you can sponsor you can sponsor the kids baseball game but at the end of the day half the kids on the team are from renting families that aren't going to buy in a Mm -hmm. city like vancouver so you just think about who your end user is like the whole point is to get a listing like uh, everything we do in real estate should be designed to get a listing listings leads and leverage you know the trifecta you work at keller williams yeah. <laughs> so listings is the key. Yeah. And if, if you're in a city where 60% of the people are renters and you got 10 kids on a baseball team that you're going to sponsor, well, six of those families are probably renting. So now I got four families that own. What are the odds that one of those families are going to move? Unlikely. So then I'm looking for referrals from those four who also own no other people who own houses and maybe referrals from the six. Yeah. I might pick up a buyer referral. I might pick up a seller referral is this worth my effort? What am I really going for here? And there's ways to do it. I don't, if, you know, if you're pessimistic, you can rule everything out and say nothing will work. <laughs> Something will work, but really think it through people. Like who is my, like, where's my commission check out of all this? How do I, how do I drill this all the way down? Um, so I go after people who are like me. I create opportunities for them to connect with each other. Uh, I think of myself as the team captain in a lot of situations, the hub and spoke approach where I'm the hub, bringing all these different people together. And somewhere in there, I'm going to pick up a couple sales and a couple buyers and hopefully make, uh, you know, you got a living. Yep. And I think that's great because I, I, again, one of the things I talk about is your farm really isn't the the homes in the neighborhood. Your farm is that subset of who you're connecting with, who you're building relationships with, who's in your database. If you have 5,000 people in your farm, it's really the 500 people that have put their hand up that you're communicating with, you're building relationships with. And yes, you're trying to get the other 4,500 people to hopefully get a deal, but really the magic happens with those, that subset of people that you're now connecting with and whether that's through your marketing, whether that's through the relationships you've built, whether that's through the referrals and things like that, it's really just kind of connecting with the right people who are going to want to work with you. So what have you been doing that's worked to get people to put their hand up? Because obviously you've got to make that connection. So what have you done to actually get connected with new people? A couple of things over the last year that have worked really well. Um, It's not that I'm trying to connect with new people. It's that I'm trying to connect with my people who will then connect me with new people. Yep. Right. I'm not, I'm not advertising for new people. Right. 
my my database is mature enough. I'm not opposed to new people. Like there'll be stuff out there that they'll see, but I'm I'm going after people I know so that they can introduce me to people they know. Yep. Um, three things. One, Facebook community marketing has been useful for creating brand impressions among our mm -hmm. database. Um, there's three things you want to do. You want to be top of mind, build relationships, and establish expertise. Those yep. are the three things that drive my business. So I want to build relationships with people in my database, establish expertise so that I appear smart, intelligent, yep. and then be top of mind. So when they see anything to do with real estate, when they have a home related need, they think of me all the time. Yep. So everything I'm doing is designed to hit one, ideally two, obviously three of those things all at the same time. So Facebook community marketing is good because it allows us to create brand impressions inside of our database and remain top of mind. Uh, client events are a very obvious one. Um, we had a very successful survey we did earlier this year. So I sent out a whole a survey to my database that was eight or 10 questions long. Um, and it basically said, I'm, you know, my job is to be the team captain of your real estate experience. I want to be useful to you in the future. Um, I want to provide you an accurate value of your home on an annualized basis, but I haven't been in your home for three years, five years, 10 years. Uh, so have you made any improvements to your home over the last 10 years? Do you plan on making any improvements to your home? Would you like to discuss those improvements with me before you uh, go and make them to talk about how they would impact the market value of your home? Do yeah. you plan, is there any reason you see yourself moving in the next 18 months? And we had 13 people out of a 300 person survey, put their hand up and say, yes, they're thinking about moving in the wow. eight, 18 months. And uh, we did discover that, and my buyers and went through this, we realized that we knew most of those people were on our radar, right? which for us was a test of, oh, okay, we are engaged with our database. We yep. do know what's going on in their lives. But our survey response rate was incredible. It was like 25, 30% like wow. of our database filled out this survey. Yep. So that was useful. Um, uh, we've decided something that worked out really well this year to reach out to people. And this is just like a one-off for COVID. Um, we're doing birthday boxes. So anybody in our database who was ranked kind of in the top 300 people, um, let me see. I've got one here. Hold on. So if you are having uh, for birthdays this year, um, we send these out. Okay. And uh, this one's all, you know, they're all sealed up right now. Um, <laughs> in there, they're like all ready to go. Um, inside there's some like some nuts and some snacks, a small bottle of champagne, a gift card. These are costing us about 75 bucks each wow. to send out the door. Yep. Um, but we're sending out 350 of these this year. Yeah. And this is getting an incredible response rate. Yeah. I, I can absolutely see why. Yeah. But I used to do big parties yeah. and I used to spend that much money on my big parties. Right. Uh, but this was a way for me to get in front of people. And now I'm like, you know, I get like a hundred percent thank you response rate on those. Yeah. Cause it's just, and it says inside, this is a one time gift. I don't want to create an expectation. Yeah. 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 Um, it, you know, COVID has taught us we need to celebrate the small things, um, or we need to celebrate everything, including your birthday this year. Given that we can't get together, we wanted to give you a, a special way to celebrate. So we're just doing some different things this year than we would otherwise do, just to you know remain top. Of, that that keeps me top of mind. Branded mm -hmm. box. Um, there's no branded material inside. It's not about gimmicks and stuff. It's just yep. the branded box. Um, it keeps me top of mind and it builds relationships and then they're phoning me and I'm just having a conversation with them. Happy birthday. Oh, that was so generous of you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just, you know, I, I can't come over and see you. I can't invite you to a party. I can't engage with you. Um, 
you know, oh, and then you just do the referral ask all yeah. the time. And I think it's important to know because a lot of people go back to, well, they want that business right now. It's like, it's taking you time to build that up to that. And if you go back to when you started, you had to do the traditional farming, you had to do the the, the typical type of marketing to really get your name out there, connect, grow that database, like you said, to, to mature your database, to then build it to that point. And it, some people are lucky enough to be already well-connected and that they can instantly just set that up, but it takes time of building those new connections to get to the point where then it feeds itself and then kind of funds itself by having a large database of past clients. Yeah. Let me, let me give you a script that I started teaching agents earlier this year and it's gone over quite well. Um, and this works for new agents too. So we always say, you know, phone your database. Everybody has a database, right? They, people, whether you know 25 people or 50 or 200 or 300, like everybody's kind of got a small circle of people they know. Yep. And everybody's nervous to phone them. I don't want to call people. I, I know I don't want to interrupt them, blah, blah, blah. Well, people like helping other people naturally. Um, so what I'll often do if I, and I get in a rut still at 15 years, like, oh, I'm, I don't know your referrals coming in right now. I don't want to call my database. Like that, by the way, for new agents, it never goes away. Like <laughs> yeah. you never, you, you, yeah. no matter how confident you are, you're never confident enough to just come in every day and grind out your phone calls, but it's, you're going to keep hearing that it's important. You're going to keep being reminded to do it. So I will phone people in my database remember I said, I try and be a connector. I use this script and the script is, who do you know who? Yeah. So I'll ask, like, I think this is how you and I got introduced. You were, you were talking to Andrew Foliato from uh, Just Sell Homes. Yeah. Um, and you probably said something like, who would be a good guest here? Yeah. So the script is, who do you know who could provide uh, a good interview on how to set up a farm? Oh, so Andrew introduces you to Stephanie. Stephanie's my wife. She introduces you to me. I come on and talk about my farm. Hopefully I'm a good interview. Probably cut half of it out. 15 minute show. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Um, but also my database, like I had to hire, um, uh, one of my assistants is going on maternity leave and I had to hire someone else. So I use that as an opportunity to phone my database and say, hey, who do you know who would make a good real estate assistant? Who do you know who's thinking about leaving a law firm as a receptionist and would like maybe some more flexibility in their life. And so it establishes credibility, right? It, it, it makes me look like I'm a successful realtor because I'm growing my team. Um, it builds relationships because I'm asking them to help me and it keeps me top of mind because I'm making the phone call. Yeah. And that's, so, and even within your farm to do that, just to say who, like to connect with local businesses, who do you know, who is a good tradesperson? Who do you know, who runs a daycare? And you, by doing those, that script, you can easily connect with people yeah. and keep the connections going. Who, who do you know who wants to set up a daycare? We have a new listing yeah. coming up with a basement space that would work great for a daycare. And we've already checked in the, the you know, the local government will allow you to build a, a an eight space daycare in the neighborhood, which our neighborhood needs. So who do you know who wants to set up a daycare? Yeah. Who do you know who wants to rent a space in a house to set up a daycare? And then you're solving community problems. Yeah. Um, you're moving your listing, you're remaining top of mind, you're establishing expertise because you're talking about zoning issues inside of real estate. You know, the, the who do you know who script has been very useful for me over the past year. And I started sharing it with agents earlier this year. And it's it's not a yes or no question. It's a who. And then they go, then they have to think about it. And they go, oh, I don't know. They may think about it. They may not. But it's not a do you know someone? Because if you do know, they go, no, I don't. It's always but, no. Yeah. I, you know, I always ask, I use that same logic when I'm, as soon as I finish a listing appointment, I'll have them sign, whether it's digitally or online or in person. And I'll always say to them, you know, um, at this point, um, 
as, as we get going in this process, you're going to find that you're bumping into a lot more people who are transacting real estate. It's like when you buy a new car and you see that car everywhere. When you list your home, you're going to find out a lot of your friends and colleagues are also thinking of selling or they're on the market or something. Um, I'd love you to take the opportunity to introduce me to them. Uh, a lot of my business comes from referrals and the more time that I can spend, if, if you can introduce me to other people, I can spend less time looking for new business and more time selling your home. Um, who do you know who's planning to move in the next three months? And then I shut my mouth. Exactly. That's the key. Right. Do, don't ask, do you know someone who's not? Who do you know who's moving in the next three months? Yeah. And just quiet. And they'll mall, 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 mall. And then eventually, you know, the husband or the wife, like the wife might come in. Hey, isn't Bob at work going to sell? Or aren't your, aren't your girlfriend and her husband getting divorced? Like they're going to have to sell. Um, Great, I'd appreciate an introduction. And then you can follow up and ask for that introduction later. But the, the who questions are very, very valuable. And that comes back to those relationships as well. The stronger the relationship you build, the easier it is to do that. And the easier it is to get those referrals. If you're going cold, it's a little trickier, not that you can't do it, but yeah. the, the, those when people know who you are, you built the relationships, you've got your database going and people know, they know that they want to refer you and they're comfortable doing that because they know it's, it's a good fit. Like, let's go back to this daycare example inside of a geographic neighborhood. If you were door knocking a geographic neighborhood and every neighborhood has a daycare problem, I don't care where you live, there's a daycare problem in every neighborhood in North America. And you've got a listing or you know of a listing that has a basement suite or a coach house in the back that would work well as a daycare. Who do you know who's looking to operate a daycare and would be willing to rent a space in our neighborhood? Every person in the community is willing to help with that. That's a really easy who do you know who question yeah. to ask people that you don't know yeah. inside of a neighborhood. Yeah. You got to find the product and do the research or whatever. But there's yeah. something like that in every neighborhood that you can go and solve for people. Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be your own listing too. It could be another listing. Just say, hey, just saw this great listing. That'd be great for a op great opportunity for the community. Who do you know? Yeah. And then that gets you the connection. Who do you know who would be willing to set up a residential daycare inside of a rented space? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I want to ask you one last question before we wrap up because... For a lot of agents, they struggle breaking into condos because obviously Vancouver is a very heavy condo market. Yeah. They find it's very difficult to reach people because like you said, people tend to go in, they don't, they don't have the community like suburban areas. What's one strategy that you would suggest for someone to really tap into or break into a condo market? Because it's okay, a lot so of here's a Here's a very successful guerrilla tactic I've had in the past. Um, I would go like if... So this one building I had that I started my farm in, um, my flyers would be going out every week and then every two weeks and then every three weeks and then ultimately every month. So I had some presence, but when you're building that presence, you need to tie it in with some physical presence on the ground. Mm -hmm. So when I, whenever I had a listing in there, I would go and I would, if I would set up a showing for 530, I would go to the lobby at 430 and I would sit there on the bench and I'd have my real estate logo on. Um, I, I, it was very clear that I was a realtor. I was holding feature sheets. Like you can spot <laughs> us, right? Like everyone knows yes. who we are. Yeah. And I would sit in the lobby and greet people as they came home hmm. and just get chat with them. I mean, oh, just waiting for a showing. They're late. Or I had some time in between showings. Or just, But I had one showing at 530 and I would sit in that lobby for two hours just mm -hmm. to talk to neighbors and make myself present. So it just became like, oh, that guy's here all the time. Like that guy yeah. must sell. I had one listing, you know, I'd keep it for months sometimes, 
but they thought I had so many listings because I was always in their lobby, just constantly meeting yeah. people. And now when I go in the neighborhood, it's the mayor campaign. Everybody knows who I am. They see me. I'm physically, you know, I'm, I'm just available. And I'd say hi to people. I would always try and do that on the days when my flyers went out. So mm. again, I would bribe the mailman to put my <laughs> flyers in on Wednesdays so that it was obvious. And I'd sit there in front of the mailboxes or stand, you know, this place fortunately had a bench and people would come by, they'd pull the flyer out, they'd look at me, they'd look at the flyer, they'd throw my face in the garbage. And that, but it gave me a chance to, I, and I'd be like, don't worry about throwing my face in the garbage. I'm <laughs> totally okay with that. I just yeah. want you to remember who I am when it comes time for you to sell. Yeah. Make a little fun of it. But you got like, you literally just have to get in front of people. Yeah. And so once I had the listing, I would physically go and just be in front of people. It worked really well for me. That's awesome. Um, and with condos, there is that one choke point where people are going into that main lobby. So like you have that, whereas if you're in a neighborhood, you're not going to stand in front of one person's driveway and reach everyone where a condo, you have that opportunity that people don't have, which is great. Yeah. So that worked well. The other thing I've done with a couple different buildings over the years, I've managed to get in touch with strata, or if you've got a client in a building who's on strata, I've sponsored um, their summer party or their Christmas mm. social or something. Yeah. And I've just shown up with, I've brought the drinks and the chips and the table and I just made it easy for the council. Um, and sometimes they're like, Oh, we don't want outside sponsorship and that's fine, but that's worth doing. Um, yep. if, if you can do that, uh, get friendly with the property manager. If you've got a competent property manager on a building where you're an expert, I have, uh, there's two buildings in town where I actually have, like an unlimited fob and a master key for the building wow. because I was doing so many sales. The manager was just like, I'm just going to give you these so you can <laughs> run your own inspections because I'm tired wow. of having to get these delivered to you. Yeah. We just, you know, I got friendly and then, then I feed the property manager information when someone's going to move ahead of time and where the fights are happening. So he or she knows what's going on. Um, it's just build different relationships, yeah. build relationships that give you access to the things you want. Exactly. I wanted access to people in that building. And then the final campaign for condos, if you can get a fob for a building um, and you can go floor to floor, flyers under the doors, man. Yeah. Like it's magic. And I know the floors are fobbed individually, but if you have a listing in a building, ask your client for a fob, a unit key and a hallway key because mm -hmm. the hallways are usually keyed and the buildings are fobbed. Like the elevators are fobbed, but the hallways are keyed. Yeah. So then you can run floor to floor. Yeah. I don't knock because in condos, if you knock, you're going to get in a boatload of trouble. <laughs> yeah. But I've, I've sold listings. Like I had a, a penthouse listing and I didn't sell it for, I had, I had it on for a month, wasn't selling. And I decided to throw a penthouse party and there was two towers in this complex. And I went to, I went up and down both towers. They're both 18 stories. So I ran up and down 36 stories and I flipped flyers under everybody's door, inviting them all to this party. 20 people came one group actually bought the condo. They moved from a lower floor to the upper condo. But I got a complaint from some old lady on Strata. You're not allowed to put these flyers under my door. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I won't. Yeah. It's like it's already done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, you're if you if you do flyers under doors and buildings, don't just do a regular flyer. Do something that's like hyper hyper local. Yeah. Like I'm hosting. Um, I'm doing showings of this unit that's been renovated on Thursday between five and six. If you would like to come between six and seven, you know, owners only, and I, I'm not trying to sell you the place. I just want to give you some renovation ideas. Yeah. 
That's great. And you can talk to people and then yeah. you're the, you know, the building expert. It, you got to get the condos require a lot of guerrilla effort yes. and you got to be willing to take some flack. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right? Like and a lot have, of agents aren't and that's why they stop. And then yeah. people like you are going are willing to do that. And that's why yeah. you're going to get the advantage that the other agent isn't going to. Like there's, there's no consequences to putting a flyer under someone's door in a strata building or a condo building. Yeah. And you know, the old lady on council calls you and she's, she can't find you. (laughs) It's, it's even, you know, it's even questionable for her to find your seller. Um, There's no rule that says you can't do like, there's never a rule that says you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. I actually had a, a client. She was looking, she had a condo building. She wanted another unit as an investment property. She wanted a specific unit. It was the end corner, southeast, whatever view she wanted. And we did have a letter. She dropped it off. She's like, I'll, I'll go deliver it floor to floor. We did it and we got two calls. One, we ended up getting an appointment, got in, got to see the property and got it in before it's off market. They decided not to buy it. But if we didn't create that opportunity, we wouldn't have had it. And we would have had to wait yeah. until. So it, it definitely creates opportunity. So that's, that's yeah. awesome advice. So if you were to give one last piece of advice to our viewers, if they're thinking about getting into farming or any type of advice, what would you give them? Yeah, my, my current advice for realtors and it's advice I'm taking myself is um, just try and make five calls a day. Talk to five people every day. Um, if you're an experienced agent, you talk to five people who, you know, each call takes half an hour because you're they're big relationships and stuff like that. If you're new, just get on the phone and try and talk to five actual. And, you know, if you're new, it's got to be at least 60 seconds long. Yeah, <laughs> It can't just be like, hello, you want to buy now? <laughs> right? You got to aim for 60 seconds. Um, Talk to five people a day right now. And that because we're, you know, in COVID, we're all turning into hermits. And it's it's getting worse as time's going on. Um, Even as we're opening up and closing down and opening up and closing down, people are just exhausted. So go out and, and try and talk to five people a day. Uh, my friend Lewis, when he got started as a new agent, that was, it was five people a day and he crushed it and he won rookie of the year and he did really well. And he said, I just call five people. That's all I do. If I can just talk to five people a day and he did really well with it. So that's yeah. great advice. So one of the things you wrap up it with is a, your best book section. So what's one book that's either changed your life or you think would have a big impact on our viewers? Yeah. I love essentialism um, by Greg McEwen. Uh, okay. He actually wrote another book that just got released this week. Uh, my wife listened to it over two days and for the last two days I've gone home and she's just like told me all about this new book. And, (laughs) and I'm like, she said, she thinks it's even better than essentialism. Um, but I haven't read that book yet. So I'm going to go with essentialism. That's a book I've read multiple times, which doesn't happen very often. I'll have to check it out. I haven't read it yet. Oh, it just, it's so on point. Um, you know, every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Mm. And it gives me the confidence to say yes and no to a lot of different things. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes so people can check that out. So yeah. what's, uh, how can our viewers check out what you're up to and connect with you if they'd like to? Yeah, I, I always say this. If, if you Google Keith Roy and you can't find me, that's my fault. <laughs> uh, now, I am in Canada and there's, some, there's a realtor named Keith Roy in New York. Doesn't sell nearly as many houses as I do. So I'm usually ahead of him. So yeah. if you're in the States and you're looking for me, write Keith Roy Canada. If you're in Canada and you type in Keith Roy, you should be able to find me. Okay, awesome. We'll put that in the notes so people can check out. So Keith, yeah. thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. You were a great guest, so I won't have to edit that out. So we'll oh, keep sweet. that at the beginning. So thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And thank you for sharing your wisdom and your experience. And I know my viewers are going to really appreciate this. Hope it helps. Awesome. Thanks, Keith. Yeah. Thanks for checking out today's episode. If you like more videos like this, be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our Facebook page and our other social media channels. Looking forward to bringing you more great content like this and happy farming.